Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Talk Dental to Me podcast, the place where you can find insightful conversations with leaders in the industry, oral care brands pushing the boundaries for better oral care, and passionate professionals who are shaping the future of dentistry. My name is Emma, and I'm your host. I'm an oral health therapist based in Melbourne, Australia. And I just love bringing you all continuing education and be able to bring our peers on here so that we can learn from them and learn from each other. So if you listen to my last episode, I'll just give you guys an update of what's happening at the moment. You would know at that point, I reduced my clinical days to two days and I've been absolutely loving it. And since then, I've actually completely resigned from my job. And this is the first time I've spoken about it to people other than my close friends and family and obviously the practice from which I resigned from. So if you're a loyal listener to the podcast, I appreciate you and you're the first to hear about this life update. And it's a really long story. It would actually be a podcast episode in itself, but I'm just so at peace with my decision and I'm really looking forward to the future. But in the meantime, I'm continuing to do what I love the most, including my podcast. And so in this episode, I'm continuing off the back of episode 18 with Sarah Cash, who is an internationally trained dental hygienist who moved to Australia. And she shared her experience of working here as a dental hygienist. So if you know anyone that wants to do the same, make sure you link them that episode. But in this episode, I'm coming back with some help for my friends already living in Australia because I realize that there are many here that need help with specifically applying for a Bachelor of Oral Health as a mature age student or if you didn't apply straight from high school. So to help us unravel this all, I have the lovely Tia, who is a second year BOH Charles Sturt University student. And she decided to apply for the course after being a dental assistant and learning about oral health therapists through her time in the dental clinic. And we actually cover T's exact journey as a successful applicant into the BOH course. And her path was actually one I had no idea you could even transition into BOH from. So I definitely learned something new. And she also unwraps what she didn't expect from the course, some surprises along the way, and the costs associated with her specific bachelor's degree. So this includes tuition fees, instruments, travel and accommodation costs, and also what loops she ended up going with. But before we get started, I wanted to ask you all one quick favor. It's really important to me that we get this episode to as many people as possible. So if you enjoy this episode, or you know of someone who is thinking about applying to a Bachelor of Oral Health, please share this episode with them because we need more passionate colleagues. And if you enjoy it yourself, don't forget to please subscribe on whatever platform you listen on. It's really, really appreciated. Thank you, everyone. Let's get into the episode. Hi, Tia. Welcome to the Talk Dental to Me podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. It's absolutely my pleasure. So fun fact, everybody, Tia and I used to actually work together and then she received some really great news that she was accepted into a Bachelor of Oral Health course. So she left to complete that, but we have stayed in touch on Instagram. And after my last podcast, when we chatted with a dental hygienist who has moved here to Australia 
from overseas, I realized I get questions from local people to help them if they want to study BOH later in life. So they've worked in dental and they've been inspired to be an oral health therapist or dental hygienist, or they just want a career change, don't like what they're doing at the moment, and they really want to look into becoming an OHT here in Australia. And they want to know their options and there's a lot of options and there's a lot to know. So I went into BOH straight after high school. So I don't have that experience to share with you all. But then I thought to myself, I know someone who can help these people. So thank you, Tia, for helping so many people and potentially future colleagues. You just finished your exams, right? Yes. So I just finished my exams on Monday. So that was the end of my exams for second year of BOH. So I have one year to go. Awesome. So how much of a break do you get? So going into third year, the break is a little bit shorter than what you would normally get. So normally Mm. in the BOH course, you would get, say, from like mid to late October to the end of February as break. But because we're going on placement all of next year, we start a little bit earlier. So we actually start back before the official session start, which is about late Jan. Mm. Yeah, I always used to get really jealous of all the other courses. Like my cousin did commerce and they always had really long holidays, whereas we were always back to school so early (laughs) to get so jealous (laughs) of them. All right. So before all the big questions, If you could please tell everyone a little bit about yourself, where you're from and what you were doing before BOH as well would be fantastic. Yep. So I'm actually originally from a very small town in East Gippsland of about 2,000 people. And then when I finished high school, I moved to Melbourne and got a job as a DA. So I've been a dental assistant for about seven years now. And yeah, when I first moved to Melbourne, I didn't even know what an oral health therapist was. So Mm. the fact that I'm, you know, in this course, I guess, pursuing this career just proves that, you know, your life can really take you anywhere. And that I guess the career path that you choose at the end of high school doesn't always have to be what you pursue in the future as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wanted to study psychology, so completely different avenues. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. And I think like even when you were DAing for us, I always remember thought like, oh, Tia's so on the ball. And then when you told me that you were going to study BH, I'm like, oh, I know she's going to do really well. So come, time flies. Can't believe you're starting your third year. It's so crazy. I know. (laughs) (laughs) So when you started working in dental, what inspired you to go to uni to study BH in particular? So I think I decided mostly that I wanted to go into BOH when I was in the process of doing my certificate three in dental assisting. Mm. Throughout doing certificate three in dental assisting, I wasn't feeling challenged or fulfilled by the coursework that was Mm -hmm. involved and it just felt really easy to me. Mm. And I just thought to myself, I think that I can push myself harder and further and have a lot of career fulfillment in a career as an OHT. I loved interacting with patients and 
seeing the differences that oral health can make to their lives Mm. I just wanted to be on the other side of that and be able to yeah do that and provide that for people as a clinician rather than as a support person. That's awesome and there is quite a few DAs that go into study BAH isn't there was there a pretty big split in your year level what was the split between DAs and high school students and like mature students? So I believe in my cohort, at least anyway, there was only one high school graduate that came Mm. in. The rest of us were mature age and I would say probably three quarters of us were DAs beforehand. Yeah, yeah. And it's a really big advantage as well, just knowing tooth surfaces and a lot of anatomy in the mouth is really, really helpful because even that we call, you know, that's basic stuff to us now that we've learned it, but it's really confusing when you first start. Like, yeah, absolutely. For me, like all the teeth look the same, all the molars look the same. <laughs> yeah. Even for me as a dental assistant, going into BRH and then, I mean, I knew all of the tooth surfaces, but having to learn the morphology and, you know, mm. how many roots each tooth had and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I really felt for the people that didn't have any dental experience because there was just double the amount of stuff to wrap your head around. Yeah, absolutely. So you decided you wanted to study BH. You haven't applied directly after finishing high school. What course and subjects did you need to complete before applying for your BOH course? Yeah, so with BOH, pretty much it's standard across all of the universities that you have to either have met the prerequisites for the year 12 equivalent. So Mm -hmm. for me, because I'd done VCE, that was still taken into consideration. Mm. So you need to have a study score of 25 in English and biology or have Mm. demonstrated an out-of-school equivalent to that. So Mm. I didn't do any science subjects at school because I thought I didn't like science at all. I thought I'd never need to use science. So what was the point in doing it? (laughs) So I did some research and chatting to like the course administrators and stuff like that about what was the best way for me to get into BOH. And I realized that the first year of nursing actually had the same core subjects as BOH. So that's, you know, human bioscience, social determinants of health, psychology, mm-hmm. and that's pretty much it. So I did a year of nursing because biology wasn't a prerequisite to get into that course. Mm-hmm. So I studied a year of nursing at I Latrobe. I didn't know you did nursing. Yeah. (laughs) So the three core subjects that we had were exactly the same as BOH. And then the only different subjects was like the clinical theory. So in first year for nursing, obviously that was nursing for BOH. That would be your dental related subjects. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow. You did nursing. Well, I didn't know that (laughs) could be a potential pathway. So yeah. Yeah, that's news to me. That's really good to know for everyone listening. I think the usual way people do it is doing like one year of science yeah, and then doing those prerequisite subjects. So yeah, that's really helpful. Yeah. Mm. So I'm not sure about other unis, but I know with Latrobe, a Bachelor of Health Science, again, same 
subjects as BOH and nursing except for your elective subject. Mm. But again, with health science at La Trobe at least, biology was a prerequisite as well. So it's funny how all of the prerequisites work for, you know, courses that have pretty much essentially the same first year subjects. So yeah, I just went explored all avenues. I know that you can do like a short course in biology, which I believe is online. Mm-hmm. I think the cost of it is around about maybe between two and three thousand dollars. But I just thought, oh, I don't want to wait an extra year and then be full on in my first year at uni, especially because I had been away out of the studying group for such a long time. Yeah. So that's why I decided to, yeah, go into nursing. And then I got a lot of credit in my first year of BOH because I'd already completed those subjects, which was Mm -hmm. really nice as well, not to have as much of a workload as a lot of students did. So this information you found out basically from just calling up the union saying, tell me all the pathways and then you can go ahead and choose which way you want to go. See, it pays to call unis, doesn't it? Yes. I just reached out to the admissions team specifically for the oral health and dentistry courses and they were able to help me and say, you know, these are the avenues that you can go down. And going to open days as well was really helpful, just chatting to people who have, you know, done the course and how they got in. Yeah, so I was glad that I explored that avenue because a lot of people probably wouldn't think to go down that path. I mean, I certainly didn't when I was in Mm. my application process. And then when I was telling people, you know, oh, I'm actually studying nursing to get into oral health, people were a bit confused by it, I guess. (laughs) It worked out well. (laughs) Yeah, it did. Clearly, clearly. So a question that people listening today probably really want to know is what grades did you need in your course in nursing or GPA? Is that even a term used in Australia? Is GPA used? (laughs) It is? Okay. Yeah. What grades did you need to be accepted into BOH at Charles Sturt? So it's kind of confusing, again, because where I was at La Trobe, they use weighted average mark, which is a little bit different to GPA. But now that I'm at CSU, they do use GPA. So Mm -hmm. when I completed my first year of nursing, I had a weighted average mark of 80, which was a high distinction grade. And I would say, (laughs) thank you. I would say that would be an equivalent of about maybe 5.5 to a 6 GPA for those of you who are familiar with the GPA scoring system. Mm. La Trobe was originally my first preference and I didn't get into La Trobe with my 80 weighted average mark. And because it was COVID and all that sort of stuff, I had a lot of special consideration and, you know, supporting documents and stuff supporting my application and I was still unsuccessful with a high distinction grade. Wow. So it's very Super competitive. competitive. Yeah, mm. and very demanding as well. And there's not a lot of places allocated to a lot of mm. the unis as well. So yeah, just if you are in the application process, just be prepared for that. That mm. yeah, you really have to work hard very, very hard in your first year. Mm. So 
when you spoke to someone at CSU, was there like a minimum weighted average mark that they would accept? How does that work? Do you know? I believe, again, it's mostly based on the year 12 prerequisites. So Mm -hmm. demonstrating equivalent in English and biology. Because Mm. I had no previous science background, I really Mm. struggled with biology in the first year. And Mm. my grade for my first semester of biology wasn't amazing. It wasn't bad. I mean, I definitely Mm. passed, but it wasn't a high distinction. So I think potentially that may have been a contributing factor because obviously oral health is a very science-based subject. But yeah, I believe with CSU, you can get accepted with a certificate for in dental assisting, but I Mm. could be wrong. Again, just if you are wanting to apply, reach out to the unis, they will be able to help you 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Well, like T said, it is really competitive. Even in 2010, when I applied for it, clearly in was a little bit lower. I went to the University of Melbourne and because I went to an underrepresented school in the west side of Melbourne, I was able to apply under what was called at the time like the Access Melbourne Scholarship. So I had a little bit behind me to help prop me up. I got a decent ATAR score. I got 85 in year 12 and I did do science and biology. But yeah, I definitely wasn't top of my class or anything like that. And I really struggled with a lot of the sciencey stuff. Like I did chemistry in year 11. I dropped it because that stuff just messes with my head. And I don't remember doing like extremely well in biology either. I think I got like a 32 out of 50. Do they still score that way, Tia? I'm not sure. Yeah, so usually usually your final score is out of 100. So for me, in my first year of BOH, I actually had to do another unit of biology because I was – unsuccessful in getting credit for that subject and Mm -hmm. I believe I got around about 85 or an 86 or something in Mm -hmm. biology for first year and then after completing my first year at CSU my GPA was around 6.4 which is probably I'm gonna say like 85 to 90 weighted average Mm. mark and I actually got an offer from Latrobe with that score so yeah, the awesome. grades, you really have to be getting really high grades if you do want to get in. Again, because it is so competitive, there's so mm. many people applying and at the end of the day, that's mostly what it comes down to, which is unfortunate. Mm. Yeah, so moral of the story, guys, reach out to the unis, the prospective unis that you're wanting to apply to, find out the different pathways like Tia did. She did nursing and then went into BOH. So every uni is different. Tia and I are based in Melbourne, Victoria, and we both studied here. So it could be different in other states in Australia. So there are a few other choices like La Trobe and the University of Melbourne. What attracted you specifically to CSU? So when I applied for BOH, I was desperate to get into BOH. So I applied everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I applied to 
the University of Adelaide. I applied to University of Newcastle. I applied to University of Sydney. I just applied everywhere because he's I just like, "Oh, go anywhere." Somewhere. <laughs> and obviously, the Victorian unis were my first preference because that's where I'm based. Mm. Like I said, I was unsuccessful in getting into Latrobe, which I was a little bit shattered about at the start. But then when I started doing some more research into CSU and I actually worked with a few previous graduates from CSU and they all said Mm -hmm. the support and the course program was amazing, amazing, amazing at CSU. So That's so important. Mm. Yes, absolutely. And again, just going to the open days, I mean, I went to I think four different open days. And you can really get a sense of which one would be your highest preference. I remember when I was going to my open days, I had set in my mind that, yep, I wanted to go to this uni and that was my first preference. And then when I went to the open day, I was kind of a bit, the lady that I had there, she was, I don't want to say she was demeaning, but she kind of had the attitude of, oh, you're just a dental assistant. Like, don't <gasps> think that you can get into BOH. And my mum was <gasps> actually so with him. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> people so like shocked. that. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> and then I went to another uni and I explained, you know, I'm a DA. And they said, great, we love it when DAs come because they just do so well in the course because they want to be here, they're passionate, and they understand how things work in a dental yes. clinic as well. So, yeah, that's really out of touch. Whoever that person was, really out of touch with. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Because, like you said, you know what happens in the day to day clinic? You've been in the situation where, you know, you see the OHTs and what type of patients they have and how they interact with them. And it just all ties in with your journey when you go through BOH. So, yeah, don't absolutely. let people like that. Get you down, people. <laughs> no, use it as a motivator. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And that's so great that they CSU loves DAs. So, oh, I love that. It's good. Always trust your gut, right? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Yeah. And so for CSU, how did you find the application process? So you did your first year of nursing, you did your subjects, did you find it straightforward? Was it easy to correspond with the uni? Did they reply to your emails? <laughs> Tell us all. Yes. <laughs> so CSU is actually really good at responding to you if you've got questions. They have an online chat called Ask CSU where you can chat with someone online. If you tell them what direction you're needing to go into as well, like if you need to talk to the admissions team, for example, or the scholarships team, they can point you in the right direction and put you in touch with who you need to speak to, which is really great, which I found that not a lot of other unis particularly had that, Mm. which was really great for CSU. In terms of the application process, you can apply either direct to the university or through VTAC, which Mm -hmm. is the Victorian Tertiary Admissions Centre, which a lot of people who have come out of high school would be familiar with that term Mm. um, if you've applied to uni in the past. To be honest, if you're applying to multiple places, I'd say that VTAC or the VTAC equivalent in your state is the easiest way because you only have to upload all of your supporting documentation and everything that you need for your application into one place. Mm -hmm. However, there is um, fees involved with VTAC, I believe it's 
maybe like 40 or 50 dollars and it can be a bit confusing wrapping your head around the preferencing system if you're not familiar with it so when you apply through vtac you enter in all of the unis that you want to apply for and you order them in order of your highest preference so mm-hmm. number one for where you want to go the most number two second and so on when the offers are released though you only receive one offer per round which will be Mm -hmm. your highest preference if an offer is made. So, for example, if you have three preferences, number one, Melbourne Uni, number two, La Trobe, and number three, CSU, you'll say hypothetically La Trobe and CSU have both accepted you into the course and want to make you an offer. VTAC will only release the offer from La Trobe because that was the highest preference on your list. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, that made complete sense. Yes. So if you, I guess, are wanting to have more flexibility in terms of getting offers from all different places and then choosing which one that you want to go to, just apply direct to the uni. But I Mm -hmm. believe that there is less spaces allocated for direct applications. I could be wrong. Yeah. But yes, I believe that there is more offers allocated to like VTAC VTAC. and then Mm There's also offers allocate a certain amount of offers allocated for like in course transfers and then yeah the mm. just direct to uni applications. Gotcha. All right, everyone, jot that down. If you're in Victoria, ask whoever you speak to at the uni what their I guess allocation is for those separate application processes. So note that down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. And I believe cool. that like across other states. The process is the same and the offering mm-hmm. system is the same. It's just based, yeah, per state. Okay, that's good to know. It's good to know. So I have been using High by High Smile for a few months now as I was lucky enough to trial them before they hit the shelves and online. And since they've gone live, I've had people message me and ask, are the toothpastes actually good? And let me tell you guys, honestly, High by High Smile doesn't just taste nice, Coconut whip and peached iced tea still have me shook, but it's actually a great everyday toothpaste for the whole family with 1100 parts per million fluoride, which means anyone over the age of six can use it, especially if they aren't considered high risk for cavities. The high by high smile toothpastes have been formulated with high smiles fluoride plus formula. It contains fluoride, zinc lactate to prevent plaque and tartar xylitol to decrease tooth decay and calcium glycerophosphate to promote tooth remineralization. I'm brushing with coconut whip now and I know you and your patients, especially those who do not like mint, will absolutely love the flavor alternatives. Treat your teeth and shop High by High Smile online at highsmileteeth.com or at your local Coles supermarket. Thank you to High Smile for their continued support of the Talk Dental to Me podcast. And then you submitted your application. How long did you have to wait for your yes or no? So I applied through VTAC, which there's different times for mature age students and high school leaving students. So Mm -hmm. when you apply through VTAC, there's usually a cutoff date for your application, which is, I believe, around the end of September. And then first round offers are usually released at the end of November for mature age students. So you have to just wait that wee bit longer. Twiddling your thumbs. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
And another important question, how much is the CSU course? So there's a little bit more to this and rather than just the yearly course fee because I know for you guys there's travel and accommodation, instruments. Could you give everyone a little bit of a breakdown of what that involved for you? Yeah, of course. So yearly the HEX cost is around eleven to $12,000. Mm-hmm. I believe my hex is currently sitting around 35-ish thousand and mm-hmm. I still have another year to go. So mm-hmm. it'll be in the 40 mark when I'm graduating. Mm. At CSU, we had to purchase a hygiene kit. You have to buy all of your on, so they're like your model teeth. We had to buy x-ray plates, a burr kit, and obviously you've got your safety glasses and your uniforms and all that sort of stuff, which is around about, I want to say about one and a half thousand dollars that you'd be out of pocket before you start the semester. And Mm -hmm. you're required to purchase that in first year and in the second year. So all up, it was about three thousand dollars. Then you've also got the costs of your replacement teeth throughout the year. Obviously, you know, you're drilling and filling it's $13 per pack for one tooth, but there is three teeth in that pack. So That inflation, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> so say, for example, you have to buy a 1-1 one, one and a 2-1, then that's $26. And depending on what type of procedure you're doing, sometimes you have to replace the teeth next door as well. So, for example, if we're doing a competency for like a class 2, you also mm-hmm. have to replace the tooth next door. So next door. it can yeah, get very expensive. But there is three in a pack. So me and my friends, we just all used to, one of us would buy one tooth, the other would buy another, and we would share it that way. But that Love is it. another expense that, yeah, you do sort of have to be prepared for. I remember in uni, I think it was $5 a tooth back then. And like you'd always be like, oh, this is like my lunch money or like my MyKey money. <laughs> yeah. And when you get into second year and you start doing pulpotomies and stuff as well, you are required to buy like the special pulpotomy tooth that has the different layers and they were $33 a packet. So, <gasps> Lordy. Yes. Did you have to buy drills as well? So we were really lucky at CSU. They supply all of the hand pieces for us, which Ooh, is that's good. amazing. And I know as well at CSU, it isn't mandatory to have loops. Mm-hmm. It is strongly advised. And I know that a lot of other unis, they are mandatory. So that's another very big expense that mm. you need to keep in mind because they're very expensive. Yeah. And also another thing that people always forget about, and I was guilty of this as well, is that, you know, you have to have your police check, your CPR, your first aid, you're working with children's check. So then you've also Mm. got all of those fees on top of what you've already paid for, all of your instruments and uniforms and stuff like Mm. that as well. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I forget every year. (laughs) No, you almost have to like start saving for it at the start of the year, right? So when it comes around again, you've got the money there. Gosh. So, oh yeah, at Melbourne, we did have to pay for our drills and they're expensive. I think that was the first time I was like, oh my gosh, dentistry is expensive. They were expensive hand pieces. 
But one of the things that we didn't have to pay for was accommodation. So all of our trips to like Shepparton and Maui and stuff, the university had accommodation. So we were really lucky with that. How was that with CSU? Yeah, so at CSU, unfortunately, you're required to fund your accommodation for when you are going on placement. So this year, we've been to about six weeks total of placement. Mm-hmm. So that's costed. I mean, it depends, obviously, if you're you know staying on campus or if you're going privately through like an Airbnb or a hotel. I went through Airbnb and obviously sharing with a few of my friends. And honestly, Mm -hmm. I just reached out to so many different Airbnb hosts saying like, hey, we're uni students coming on placement, you know, we're losing income from our jobs and all that sort of stuff. Like, can you do any sort of discount? And some people were so amazing and were like, yep, absolutely happy to help. So that's another thing that I would recommend. Like, don't be scared to reach out to Airbnb hosts if you are required to pay for yeah. accommodation for Hustle, guys. because the worst that they can do is say no. Yeah, exactly. And if they say yes, like it helped us out so much. I think we were paying around $700 less than a lot of other people just <gasps> because. It's huge. Yeah, huge amount of money. And then obviously you've got like your travel cost. So mm-hmm. traveling from Melbourne to Wagga, it's about a four and a half hour drive. And unfortunately, we had to go in June when the fuel prices were just ridiculous. Oh, no. But yeah, that's probably, I would say, the biggest expense is travel and accommodation. Yeah, yeah. Well, every uni has their pros and cons, right? So yeah, yeah, you just got to factor it all in to which uni you end up going to and then hopefully be as prepared as possibly financially before you start so yeah keep in mind everyone this is the local student fees so yes if you are an international student listening to this and wanting to move to Melbourne and you know do this type of pathway there's different fees and different things that you need to do before applying so about your study Tia what does each year of study involve like how many contact hours did you have when did your placement start and how many people were in your year level did that dwindle every year (laughs) it happened to us yeah I think there's definitely a few people who were unsuccessful in progressing into second year and so they are doing first year again so I think we lost maybe two or three people just to that and then I think maybe like Four other people just decided that BOH wasn't for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so not as many as I probably expected, but going into third year, maybe it mm-hmm. will be more than that. So across the Holmes Glen campus and the Wagga campus, there's around about 65-ish of us um, mm. at the moment in second year. So pretty decent sized, but if you're – Considering it in terms of location, that's only like 30 students per cohort. Yeah. So it's really small. It is. Really it small. Is. That's why it's so competitive. Yeah, absolutely. The contact hours, I won't lie, they are very, very, very demanding. So in your first year, if you haven't got any credits or done any of the subjects before, you'll have four subjects per semester and they are very, very content heavy, especially for human bioscience and 
oral health science as well the Mm. content is intense and then you've also got your sim clinic sessions as well so in first year we did three sim clinics per week there was two three-hour therapy sessions and one two-hour hygiene session so that eight hours in total so Mm -hmm. you've got probably I would say 10 hours per subject so 40 hours and then an extra 10 hours well eight hours on top of that for your Mm -hmm. sim clinics as well so if you want to do well in the course you have to really stay on top of it and like especially second year was a lot more intense than first year everyone says that second year is the hardest and I definitely found that this year there was just so much content and so many assessments and even in sim clinic you know you just absolutely fly through the competencies and the practicals that you're doing in there and it's just very very fast paced and I spent a lot of my weekends writing assignments and just catching up Mm. on coursework because you just don't have time otherwise which is Mm. unfortunate (laughs) but it is what it is I mean it's short-term pain for a long-term gain and I'm not the type of person as well that I can't just give something 50% and then feel good about the outcome so I'm going hard at it (laughs) and you can probably do it with less time than what I have but again like it will be reflected in your grades and grades aren't everything but you don't want to be getting to the end of the year and then thinking, oh, my God, am I going to pass this subject? Am I going to pass the exam? Am I going to have to repeat? Yeah, a lot of the things, they do make barriers. So you need to get at least 50% in the majority of the assessment items to pass the subject and then to be able to progress into the next year as well. Mm. So as you probably have gathered, everyone, pretty intense course you are like I remember yeah I think first year for us we were at uni every day like Monday yeah. to Friday you're there random times like I remember one day we had a lecture in the morning and then a gap in the day and then a two o'clock to four o'clock lecture so you're at uni a lot it's not like a commerce course where you're there for 10 12 hours a week because obviously you're practicing in mannequin heads and you've also got lectures and shoots and stuff for that like there's so much going on so definitely take that into consideration yeah and just see if that lines up with like where you are in your life right now in your current stage and whether you've got the support to make that happen but Following on from that, a question someone asked me recently is if it's possible to work during the course. Like you said, there's extra expenses that need to be paid along the way. There will be realistically people who will need to work to help support their course. Like if you did work, Tia, how many hours did you work a week without it feeling too much to juggle both? Yeah, absolutely. And I am one of those people where if I wasn't working casually there's no way that I'd be able to do this course obviously lived out of home for seven years (laughs) so Mm. I'm having to pay you know rent and bills and all of that fun stuff on top of obviously my course expenses as well Mm. Well, during uni times I work as a DA one day per week and my hours Mm -hmm. are 8 a.m to 6 Mm p.m so it's a long day but you know, you have to do what you have to do. I know a lot of other people are in the same boat as me at uni. A lot of us work part-time. 
to be mm-hmm. able to support ourselves. But because the workload of BOH is so demanding, like I said, you definitely need to make up the time lost somewhere else. Like, and for me, that was on the weekends for, I know people that have kids, like that might be late nights, that sort of stuff coming into exam period as well. I haven't been working as much as I would to have liked just because the amount of exams that we had and they were all scheduled on my roster day of work. So I just had to pop it on the chin, I guess. And even if I wanted to make it up somewhere else, because yeah, the amount of stuff that you have to prepare for, you just don't have the time to, you know, go into work from eight until six. And then when you get home from work as well, I mean, for me personally, I am just so exhausted mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just don't think even if that. I was to study, like I just wouldn't retain anything. So <laughs> mm. yeah, definitely be prepared to say goodbye to your social life for a little while if that is Short something pain, you're needing like to do. Said. Yeah. Yeah, quite a few people in my course worked like when they were on break, they worked like every day just so they could like save money for when we were back on placements. And then when we were back to our normal week of classes and whatever, they would just work a Saturday shift or like a Sunday shift where they would be paid time and a half or double time, whatever it was. It's definitely doable and some weeks you will feel like, why am I doing this? But yep. <laughs> yeah, there are so many people who have done it and are doing it. So it's definitely possible. So you can work and do BAH, everyone. The only thing I would just add on to that is if you are wanting to go into BAH and you are accepted, just make your workplace aware that you may require some extra flexibility in terms of your hours because the course is so demanding. And I'm very lucky. My workplace is amazing and so supportive and good yeah great (laughs) that's awesome were there any unexpected roadblocks in your journey to BOH or anything that's happened during your course so far I don't think there's any unexpected roadblocks in my journey to BOH apart from starting in 2020 in the middle of a global (laughs) pandemic. pandemic but other than that I think not so much of a roadblock but i guess I just was not prepared for how demanding the course would be. I guess I was a little bit naive having been a DA and worked in a dental practice for such a long time. I never thought it would be easy, but I didn't think that it would be as challenging as what it is, especially, yeah, the workload and the amount of theory that you have to know and the amount of pressure that it brings as well I mean for us at CSU we have practical competencies Mm -hmm. which you are required to pass obviously to pass the subject because you're going to be doing it on a real human one day Mm -hmm. but you get three attempts at each procedure and then if you fail that three times you go to like a fourth remediation And then if you fail that, then you fail the subject and you have to repeat the year. There's a little bit more that comes into that as well. If you fail two things more than three times, again, that's an instant fail. So there's a lot of pressure in terms of that as well. And in first year, I really struggled with, you know, using a handpiece for the first time and Mm -hmm. indirect vision. And it took me- Oh my gosh, indirect vision. (laughs) I struggled so much too. 
and a modified pen grasp and a fulcrum. It was just all so bizarre to me. And I just thought, oh my God, like how am I ever going to feel confident in, you know, my drilling abilities and my morphology in my like restorations was terrible. But the more you practice, the more obviously you get better at it. And getting loops was a game changer for me. So Mm. that's, yeah, something that I would definitely recommend. I guess the amount of stress that comes along with BOH, I probably wasn't prepared for. It's a lot of pressure and it is a very intense degree. And Mm. yeah, people can say it to you, you know, over and over again, but until you're doing it yourself, you will never truly fully understand Absolutely. I love how you mentioned loops because that was one of the things, like it wasn't compulsory for us. And I remember hardly any of us got them at uni because I just don't think we understood like how important they were. And then number two, they were just so expensive and, you know, you can buy cheap ones on eBay and Amazon and stuff, but like, I don't think none of us knew about it back then, but what loops did you end up getting? So I actually have two sets of loops. One of them is a pair of oroscoptics, which were gifted to me by my boss. They were just an old pair of loops. That's nice. They're not brand new. The arms are broken on them. So I had to get them fixed as well. And I'm the third person that's using them. And then when we started doing therapy on deciduous teeth, I realized that 2.5 magnification wasn't making a very huge difference for deciduous teeth especially you know when you're doing a class two restoration Mm. you've got to put your little proximal box in yes so for everyone (laughs) listening a deciduous tooth if you're not in dental yet is a baby tooth basically and then class two means like a two surface filling on the side of the tooth (laughs) yeah like next to the other tooth so yeah there's a chance that you can damage the tooth next door Mm -hmm. so I actually got a 3.5 magnification of smart loops which are Mm -hmm. an affordable brand and they are amazing and yeah they were only I believe $400 or something Mm -hmm. compared to oroscoptic loops brand new are I believe around $2,000 and then obviously there's refractives and stuff that you can consider, which are like around the $3,000 to $3,500 mark. Mm, mm. So there's definitely options. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, loops are definitely expensive, but well worth the investment, especially for your posture and just overall well-being moving yeah. forward into your career. Just rounding off today's episode, Tia, what are your top application tips for someone listening saying, yeah, I want to do this. I think I can do this. What are your top tips for that person? My top tips would be, like I said before, go to the open days, figure out the feel for the uni and decide if it's somewhere that you would want to pursue a three-year degree. Get some supporting documentation, like write a personal statement, get a personal statement from a work colleague. I know for me, one of my dentists wrote me a personal statement that Mm -hmm. I don't know if it helped my application a lot, but even just for me, it was just nice, you know, reading that someone believed that I could do it. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, just make yourself familiar as well with the prerequisites because unfortunately the reality is if you don't meet the prerequisites, you won't be accepted into the course. That's just the Mm. way that the uni works. 
And yeah, just reach out to the admissions team if you are interested and you don't have the prerequisites, let them know and they'll be able to help you and decide the best avenue for you. Like they're there to support you and that's pretty much what helped me get into BOH and just research, research, research. Mm. Make yourself familiar with the university websites and the requirements because I know for some unis like Adelaide Uni you are also required to sit the UCAT which is the university clinical aptitude test so there are some depending on which uni that you're interested in getting into there are some other little bits and pieces that you will be required to submit with your application and just getting all of your documents ready like if you did do VC at high school like They request a copy of your VCE certificate, even if it was 10 years ago. So Mm. just, yeah, any supporting documentation that you have, gather it all together and it will make your application process so much smoother and so much less stressful. Thank you so, so much. This was really helpful, really insightful. And I think it's going to give those people out there who are seriously looking into applying for BOH, whether it be at CSU or in Victoria or anywhere else in Australia, just a really good foundation to work off. So thank you for your time, Tia. No problem. I'm glad I could help. It's definitely something that's very overwhelming if you're entering into that realm for the first time. And Mm. I wish that I had some guidance when I was going through it. So yeah, I'm really glad that I can help assist other people in their journey to BOH because it's such a rewarding degree and career and dentistry is just ever evolving and Mm -hmm. there's a much higher demand for it so yeah we definitely need all of you future OHTs. (laughs) Yes yes absolutely and I can just see someone listening today is going to get in touch with you at a CPD one day and they'll say, Tia, I listened to your podcast and you (laughs) helped me get into BOH. I can see it now. (laughs) Well, thank you, Tia. I hope we get to catch up in person soon or I know you're really busy at the moment, but when you're done with it all, it'd be so great. We'll be colleagues finally. Absolutely. You're going to be a great OHT. Thank you. That means a lot. You're welcome. Well, I'll let you enjoy the rest of your week off because you're back on placements next week. So I hope you have a nice afternoon. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Talk Dental To Me podcast. If you made it right to the end to listen to this, I appreciate you and thank you so much for your support. I really hope that you take away value from this podcast and I hope to continue creating great episodes with you with other dental professionals. If you have anyone that you think that would be fantastic on this podcast, please let me know and please also tag me with your main takeaways at Emma Talks Teeth and at Talk Dental To Me podcast podcast. I love hearing from you guys and I love receiving your feedback. The next episode I will be posting will be a December one. How crazy is that? Until then, I hope you all take care. I will speak to you soon. Bye.